0: You know, you're in the sort of rate space where you're, you know, high volume business. There's been some new entrants, Edison and Nesto. So, what do you think? Are they doing things different than you guys? Are they the same? Is it the same thing in a different shell? Like, has Nesto got like what 78 million? What are your
1: thoughts on those guys? My thoughts on those guys are that they do essentially something that's very similar to us, except they heat their offices with cash. Like, they've got little ovens that they throw $100 bills into (laughs) every morning to heat the office up, Okay, Seriously, this, this stuff is crazy. The
0: most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your
1: host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering.
0: Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Ron Butler. Ron is the owner of Butler Mortgage, one of the largest online rate discounting mortgage companies. He runs an ad-based business, and people love or hate him. And I love having conversations with Ron because he has an opinion. It's an informed opinion. He's very intelligent. And you can't easily argue with him unless you know your facts, that's for sure. A couple of takeaways from this conversation. First, we talk about predictions for interest rates and housing prices. We talk about some of the benefits that brokers have received from the tech wars that have been going on. And we dive a little bit into crypto and NFTs. We just kind of go all over the place, but it's an amazing conversation. And I always enjoy my conversations with Ron, a really smart dude with lots of insight on the broker channel, as well as just, he's been here a long time and I think you're gonna really dig this. Before we jump into this episode, I wanna give a shout out to our title sponsor Finmo. So it's a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform that we use at our brokerage because it's really easy to use. Clients like it because it's simple. Brokers like it because it's quick to pick up and learn. They got some features like Smart Docs that basically based on how the client fills out the app, it knows what documents to ask for, they got smart submission notes, and it also integrates with something called Lender Spotlight, which allows you to search lender rates and guidelines. Check it out, binmo.ca. Today on Ask the Experts, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage about three ways top brokers are streamlining their processes. And check out this episode with Ron. Hey, Ron, welcome back to the show.
1: Always good to be back.
0: Love talking to you, Scott. We were chatting before turning the recorder, like we got to turn the recorder because these conversations are always so much fun. So I got a bunch of things I want to ask you, but it's been a crazy kind of 18 months, 24 months. What's been sort of the biggest change that you've seen in your business in the last 12 months?
1: One of the weird parts for us is is the business kind of came to us. We never met with clients, like for a decade, we've never met with clients. And so the transition, again, just we're lucky. We're also lucky in this business. You know, we really, really are. we got to look at ourselves. Let me give you the number. So in the province of Ontario, the average mortgage balance over the last 18 months has increased 34%.
2: I want you to think about that
1: for a minute. 34%. Like even bacon is going crazy in price increases. And the craziest price increase in history, it's only gone up 20%. And it'll probably come back down again. You know, right. lumber went way up, came back down almost as fast. Mortgage balances can't come down that fast. They are not coming down in the next little bit. Okay, so how lucky is that, not only that, but in the province of Ontario, unit volume, in other words, the total number of new units of mortgages done in Ontario, was up just a touch over 20% year on year. So if you start to put those numbers together, if you didn't have a 56% increase, you're a failure in the mortgage business, right. you're going backwards. <laughs> So, honest to God, everybody who came to you and talks to you and says, oh, shit, I had a 40% increase last year, Scott, we're shooting the lights out. No, you failed. You failed by 16% if you got a 40% increase. I mean, that's what we got to understand about this business today. I mean, there's nothing like it. What the hell business goes up 56% based on the market? Where does that exist? Maybe crypto, which we'll talk about in a minute,
0: but that's a whole other conversation. So, okay, 34% increase in balances. What do you think that is? Like, What do you think triggered this spike? Like, What were the factors? That a 38% triggered? increase in house prices.
1: <laughs> right. So then people just had to borrow more money. That's it. That's all there is. Every refinance is the option to get more. Everything but a transfer switch. And by the way, that's the only area where we see small mortgages today is when we do a transfer switch on a renewal. Then we've got a hundred and fifty-six thousand dollar balance. Then we've got a two oh eight balance, but there is no refinance. There is no purchase with a small right. balance. Like our average balance is up to five hundred and twenty-three thousand dollars, and that's with these hundred and eighteen thousand dollar, two hundred and two thousand dollar transfer switches. So wow. if you're just in the pure purchase and refi business, you don't do any transfers, renewals at all. It's probably close to six hundred in right. Ontario. And there's probably guys who just operate in special markets, guys and gals who operate in just highly lucrative markets, which is probably higher than that. So, wow, you know, if you're working on 115 basis points, we'll just say 115 basis points of return on a file, 600,000 chimney crickets. I mean, like you're making seven grand a unit. On full price. No, no, we're not full price, nothing close to it. But still, I mean, imagine. I mean, how many units do you have to do? You have to do 10 units in a whole year to make nearly 80 grand, 10 or 12 units, like one a month.
0: Yeah. It's wild. It's It's bonkers. Okay. So you talked about the unit increase. So I have some thoughts on this. What's
1: caused that unit increase to be high for this last year? The rates. The rates. I mean, there was also in the beginning of 2021, there was a tremendous amount of purchase activity and the rates drive the rest of it. Like, do you want to switch from a variable to a fixed? I guess this summer would have been one hell of a time to do it. I mean, it's all about market conditions. It's frankly nothing to do with the skill, genius, and brilliance of the mortgage brokers. Okay. I mean, it's just the marketplace. That's it.
0: It's just like a wave that we're riding and the wave is bigger by 34% and 20% more waves. So we end up writing there. Okay. So in terms of the housing market, do you think it's going to
1: slow down? If so, there's no are inventory. You watching? There's no inventory in Ontario. There's no inventory in the Lower Mainland. Prices keep going up because there's nothing to buy. We're back to like 15, 18 bids on a house. No inventory. The months of inventory. I looked at Trab the other day. It's the lowest in 19 years, um, which means prices aren't going down if there's no inventory because
0: you're still going to have
2: can't right, go down. Right. Can't go down. So even if
0: we see rates go up, so let's you know say they did go up. Do you think the increased rates it doesn't change
1: the amount of inventory. and people. Oh, it doesn't gonna- change the amount of inventory. It could have a big effect on refinance, right? I mean, right. you know, we're not just one thing. We're not just house purchase. We're different things. So, What percent did you say? Effect-
0: can you share that? What percentage your guys' businesses looks at purchase versus the refi switch, would you say?
1: We're majority purchase, but refi is about 30% of that. Switch has gone down to about 18 19%. Right, so it's still more purchase business that you do. Sure, but there's also a lot of mortgage brokers in Canada that are 75% purchase you know, 65% purchase and the rest refi. There's a ton of mortgage workers in Canada that don't do any transfer switches at renewal. They just don't do right. it. They don't even think about them. Okay, so you think rates are going to
0: rise in the next 12 months? What's your thoughts? Because there seems to be some like- Well, they've risen already, right? I mean, yeah. fixed is up. doesn't
1: look like it's going down anytime soon. The prime rate, you know what? Probably, you know, there's going to be a pressure on the government to try to get inflation under control. Inflation is a government killer. Now, people say, well, Trudeau doesn't carry in for another three years. Yeah, he cares. He cares because you take a look at the U.S. Biden and the Democrats are going to get slaughtered in the midterms next year if this inflation keeps up. They are just going to be destroyed. Uh, right. It's going to be a Republican landslide in the House, the Senate, because the general public hates inflation. Because at the beginning of an inflation cycle, you're way behind. Mm-hmm. You know, prices go up, your wages don't go up fast enough, so you're mad. You're just mad. You're angry. All right. Right. So. Is there a chance that prime rate goes up? Sure, there is. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with some of the people predicting eight increases in 24 months. A huge number of economists jumped out front and said, no, 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 you're all wrong on that. That's not happening. But will there be a prime rate increase next year? Absolutely, I believe there will be. So are there any indicators that you're watching
0: before the Like, what do you watch outside of just, you know, what the economists are saying? Is there anything that you
1: keep an eye on? For well, this is, you know, the real inflation rate is just, drives it. You cannot retain super low prime rate and see inflation continue at 4.7, 4.8. If the number breaks through five, apparently, there's 6% in the states right now, last month. So if we start to break through fives, oh, my God. I mean, there's going to be a tremendous pressure. Right. But that doesn't change the supply problem. Like, that's
0: still- No, it doesn't. It does not. No. Yeah, because we still have a supply issue. Okay, so what about like, do you follow crypto at all? What are your thoughts on crypto? And do you ever think it's going to be part of real estate? What's your sort of insight on that?
1: Well, blockchain could absolutely be part of real estate. The Could you could you explain
0: blockchain for somebody who doesn't understand it? I have like a rudimentary understanding of it, but I'd love to hear how you would explain blockchain to like a broker at a bar. If you're four beers in how do you explain blockchain to me?
1: (laughs) Well, if you're four beers in, it's like this. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You won't care. But if you're six beers in, I got some NFT shit from Chris Turckoff that I want to sell you. Okay. But the bottom line is that (laughs) blockchain is a process. Blockchain is a kind of accounting system that is foolproof and perfect, efficient, and easy to become completely digitalized. And it just keeps track of stuff. If you want to take the registry system in Ontario, it's currently with Terranet, and just turn it into blockchain, the prices would fall, the efficiency would rise, and the security would be perfect. So just imagine it as a foolproof accounting system. That's what blockchain is. Because instead of being stored on servers, it's stored on every server in the world. So can't lose it. Each crypto key is an individual key to something that can never be disturbed, never lost, never touched. So it's pretty damn good record-keeping system. I think of two, it's sort of like when I say to somebody, how do you know you own
0: your house? Well, I own it, but yeah, how do you know? You got to go to the land titles on that computer somewhere, it says your name. But the way I think of it now is like NFTs or tokenizing things is just digital proof of ownership. It's like who owns it? And then the blockchain allows you to look at the trail of ownership, way more transparency than. Right now, we don't have a lot of transparency. We got to pay TerraNet to find out like what's going on with this property. The only downside that I see, and they'll fix this, is that the inefficiency is in the amount of electricity to run all these duplicate servers. There's been some complaints about like no, if- you're talking about you're talking about crypto mining. That's a whole different thing. Okay, Blockchain, explain that to me. So explain
1: electricity. That's okay, not- so
0: how does crypto mining
1: use electricity then? Because you have to do these jillions of calculations to churn out one coin. That's how Bitcoin works. So you know that's why Bitcoin and all of crypto was thrown into a shock when the Chinese government said, we don't want you to do any mining here anymore. You're not going to use our cheap electricity at all. So look, I don't pretend to be an expert on crypto. I'm a crypto skeptic. I don't think Bitcoin is going to disappear tomorrow. But I actually think that Things like NFTs, you know, the sort of cartoon art that's sold under NFTs, it's all going to end in tears. Like, I mean, it's just like, I'm old enough so that when I was younger, like grown-ass men my age used to collect hockey cards because there was a mania about it. There was like a three-year mania about hockey cards and baseball cards, and people were filling their basements up with boxes of friggin' baseball cards. And all of a sudden, one day, the market went away because people scratched their head and said... Is this like tulip bulbs in Holland 400 years ago? I don't know. Yeah, I know. So yeah, the NFT side of crypto is just ridiculous. The thing that
0: interests me about it is, is that the digital proof of ownership and things that are physical that can be digitized. The pictures and tweets, like who cares about that? They're just playing around and getting attention. I think the really interesting stuff becomes when I can own my real estate or I can show ownership of something physical by using this digital proof of ownership, which is that, that which we we'll always
1: remember in a world in which a government wants a share of something, wants to put a tax on something, wants to attach fees to something. They're never going to open it up completely. Some places in Canada, we have double land transfer tax in some cities. No one's ever going to give that up. No one's ever going to say, yeah, just exchange these properties on your own folks. Okay. Just exchange key codes and do it yourself. No, no. Yeah, they, they're not going to be cool with that. No. never gonna happen no. yeah. because yeah. the
0: government wants their peace okay yeah
1: that's
0: it 100 okay let me ask some questions about so you know you're in the sort of rate space where you're you know high volume business there's been some new entrants edison and nesto so what do you think are they doing things different than you guys are they the same is it the same thing in a different shell like is nesto got like what 78 million what are your thoughts on those guys
1: my thoughts on those guys are that they do essentially something that's very similar to us, except they heat their offices with cash. Like they've got little ovens that they throw hundred dollar bills into <laughs> every morning to heat the office up. Okay. Right. Seriously. This is stuff is crazy. Like it's crazy. So take Nesto, for instance, now Nesto actually, it makes sense. Like there's a background strategy at Nesto. The largest shareholder in Nesto is Paul Demery III. Paul Demery III is the grandson uh, Paul Demeré the first, or Paul Demeré, who's passed now, was probably the greatest business mind in the history of Canada. This is somebody starting from absolutely nothing in Sudbury, Ontario, in a oh, right. tar paper shack, okay, and ended up running a multi-multi billion dollar empire. Okay, and there's very few guys any smarter that I've ever heard of or read about than Paul Demeré. So the grandson, he's the majority shareholder in Nesto. And he can just attract infinite amounts of seed money, uh, VC money, venture capital money, because at the end of the day, all he has to say is, I'm going to sell this to my dad eventually. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm going to sell it to Power Corp." So I guess you can raise as much money as you possibly can. And the crazy part about it is Edison, obviously, behind Edison is the largest mortgage originator on planet Earth, which is Quicken Loans Rocket Mortgage. Okay. So there's obviously mountains of money over there. That's an incredibly successful company at uh, Quicken, Rocket, extremely well run, brilliant people there. And Canada is just an afterthought to them. You know, an afterthought to the biggest mortgage originator on earth is more money than God for the guys running around in Canada. So again, they have huge staffs, like they're trying to grow it past 100 people. And they do like half the business that we do which is like with 53 people, here's the main thing to understand. They can grow. Both Edison and Nesto can grow enormously because in terms of the simplicity of what we do, the main factor is cost of funded mortgage, the advertised cost of funded mortgage. We all have about the same labor costs. We all have about the same, well, not really. They've got so many people at those places, their labor costs probably double or triple. But the bottom line is that if we look at the cost of advertising, let's just narrow down the cost of advertising to get to a funded mortgage. The very best people in our space are spending between 275 and 375 on a funded mortgage, 275 $375, just the ad cost, nothing else but the ad cost. Right. And those people are the geniuses. Like I won't narrow them down because they don't care. I'm fine talking about those other two guys. I'm not going to talk about my sort of peer group. But I'll tell you that one guy has an incredibly low cost of acquiring a funded mortgage I mean, advertising. Yeah. The next guy in line is a bit more. He's probably in the 475 to 600. And why there's a range is there's some seasonality to it. There's also where you are in the rate spectrum. you know if HSBC is advertising 0.95 and you can't get there, you get a few less leads. You have to spend a bit more to get them out. you want. There's all that complexity. And there's somebody like me who's much smaller, and we're at about somewhere between 575 and 675 per funded mortgage on advertising. You know, when you look at Nesto and Edison, you know, one of those guys is kicking out at about 1600 right? which is like batshit crazy. If you didn't have other people's money, you couldn't do it. It's impossible. Okay. Right. But listen, you could be like Uber. You could be like Lyft. Have those guys ever made a profit? Like Lyft made a tiny profit. Uber still hasn't made a profit. Okay. So- right. You can grow a massive, massive business without ever making a profit with your costs being offline if you bring something unique to the space, like Uber, Uber changed the world, right? I mean, right. nobody ever thought that taxis would disappear. If you went back 15 years ago and say, do you think yeah. there'd be no taxis in 2021? Yeah, there's still taxis, but they're running at about 10%, 15% of the capacity they used to be at some cities. Right. So, But this business is not quite the same. Like. Banks still do the majority of mortgages in Canada. So, yes, you can increase market share, and yes, brokerage market share has increased. It has absolutely, but don't be fooled by astronomical advertising spend to acquire rate of growth. I mean, it's a function of having available capital. It's not a function of having a brilliant business.
0: Right. Interesting. So you said you're about 575, 675 per. Funded mortgage. So fifty three people. What kind of volume do you guys do? Do you share that? What do you think? You yeah, that? I remember. Like
1: my business is split. There's my and my son's William side of the company, and there's my son David side of the company, which is a completely different operation. It's you've talked to Dave. Yeah, his, uh, his models are like the opposite, opposite. flip of yours. opposite, flip. opposite, yeah. opposite. So, but the combined volume this year will be about one point seven five billion
0: dollars. Right, that's crazy. Okay, so. We were chatting offline about exclusive lender arrangements in the tech space. You said that's one of those interesting things that's kind of flying under the radar that most people aren't paying attention to. Talk to me about that. What do you think about these arrangements? What kind of effect will that have on brokerage and brokering in general?
1: Well, it's one thing that actually affects brokers every day. It's one thing that affects them. Like If you're with Dominion Lending Group, you probably will eventually have access all across the network to HSBC, but nobody on the M3 side will have it at least not in the near future. But the same token at M3, they're going to roll out access soon. They've had it for almost two years in Quebec, but they're going to roll out access soon on national bank products across Canada and nobody at DLC Group is going to get it. So the natural extension of that is what about other organizations? What about Simply? What about Tangerine? I don't think Scotia has that in mind to do that, but it's not impossible. What about Bank of Montreal? Like it's a long list of what abouts. The interesting part is a big network like Rob McClister just ran the numbers off this morning and the rolling 12 months ending in September, DLC was at 75 billion and M3 was at 67 billion. Okay. So if you're that big, you can go to a lender and say, I could guarantee this much business with this kind of rate structure. We'll just promote you. And most important, there's where the tech comes in. We will pay to bridge to your underwriting department. We'll right. pay all the costs to bridge to your underwriting department. You won't have to pay a nickel. And by the way, if Z or Y or Q company is charging you this many beeps per deal, we'll charge you half for this exclusive arrangement. So we'll build the bridge to your underwriting department, charge you half. And we'll, we'll do it ourselves and we'll work for less. Right. That's
0: what I thought too. And so what I've heard, this is an interesting topic, that the override on that, you think of what the lenders make or what the bridge owner makes is between three to eight basis points. Does that sound about right to you? Or does that sound... So think about like a stripe I think think eight beeps to a tech provider is batshit crazy, but... But I think it was, I think that they were original. I think it back now, I don't know if there's many of those left, but I think mostly it's three to five basis points per mortgage that's funded. And it's kind of like stripe fees. You know, you use an online payment provider, the business pays a percent to that in order to collect that payment. It's the same thing. Broker's not paying it. And what we've seen in the tech space, when I've seen these tech wars going on, the benefit for the broker is we've been getting all kinds of free stuff, like free this, free NOAs. Everybody's at a race to improve the product like crazy. So we're benefiting from the fact that, you know, no offense to Phylogics, but there was a period for about 10 years where nothing changed. It was like pretty
1: stagnant. No, you're wrong. You're totally wrong. It was 18 years.
0: Okay, sorry, there you go. But it was a long period of time, where there was very little. Then then we see DLC Group comes in, buys Marlboro Sterling and says, giddy up, let's go to battle. And now we've seen all kinds of innovation. Phylogix is working with outside providers. Like, so there's so many cool things happening, you know, and the broker is benefiting. But the one thing, as you mentioned, is this lender access. So which lenders do you kind of predict will be in the channel in the next year? Do you have any like hints of who you think will be coming?
1: I've been told that there's been discussions with Simply, and there may even been a little bit of pilot work done already. You know, it's an open question. The lender who has made it clear they're not coming is RBC. They have made that really, really clear forever. It's relatively unlikely CIBC would come in because they have devoted a lot of energy and money to their sales force. Isn't Simply CIBC though? Yeah, but they're a digital platform already. They don't have any Salesforce. So, you know, if you're a bank and you're heavily invested in your sales force and you've just finished a massive growth of your sales force, why would you say, yeah, now I want to do the brokers? Now, it's interesting. TD is very, very happy with the way they've grown their broker share. Everybody there feels good about it. I talked to some of the people in the bank. They're not half assing it in the broker space. They're here, they want to grow it. The HELOC shows up in January. The guy who is behind that, you know, he promised it when he came aboard. And everybody looked at him and said, Yeah, sure, we've been hearing it for 14 years. And he came through. Right. So kudos to him. The, the reality is they're here and they're not going anywhere. They are very, very interested in the broker space. Now, CIBC, I don't think so much, but remember simply these digital parts of a bank, they're a lot different kind of integration. You're not offending any sales force when simply. available for brokers. There's nobody on Salesforce. There's no brand. You're not competing competing on the
0: brand. So yeah,
1: but BMO, everybody gets whispering about BMO. There's enough whispering that tells me that sometimes BMO talks to people. I mean, the whispers wouldn't be so loud if there wasn't something there, but it's a huge decision for a bank. I mean, they, they don't take these things lightly. I can't make a great prediction, but I would say it's not impossible. It's not impossible. There'd be more exclusive agreements. Right. It makes sense. So I think
0: BMO will be in the space. Honestly, just this is my guess. It's because when I read that report, reading that report that they put out, the study on broker market share, I was like, why would you create this report and then go, but let's just ignore this trend. Like you'd think that they'd be like, let's get in front of this because they were in it before. Do you remember when they had the prime minus 80 open mortgage, which mortgage brokers were like, oh my gosh, you literally gave me a license to print money. Like that was just a bad product designed for mortgage brokers because they parked them there.
1: And move them but you know touching on that point you know greg williamson he said a couple of smart things in that last pod you ran by the way i'll give you a bit of a plug i mean you're running some great product out these days and card houses, stuff was great greg williamson's stuff was interesting good point that greg did make though lenders are thinking harder and harder like very hard about broker behavior they're really thinking about it they're analyzing it slowly slowly becoming more aggressive about it remember ed talked to you about firing people like mm-hmm. i was at that that was actually a party he announced it at it was a big broker party huge broker party he announced we're gonna fire all these people okay Not the people uh, at the party they, or people that didn't get invited to the party there were a few people at the party who got fired yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah, they, they got fired later you know they're they got drink in hand hmm, is that me i don't know uh that's the, awesome you know, I, I was there i mean i was it was amazing but it turned out he was right Dead right, worked out perfectly. But lenders are thinking about broker behavior. The one thing lenders are thinking about more than ever before, who are the brokers who are just here to churn me? Who are the brokers who are selling variable rates in 2020? And then as soon as another lender has enough of an increase of discount, they're just ripping that variable right out of me, pocketing the full commission and taking it a year down the road to the next lender. They're thinking hard about these things. Right. They're thinking hard about it. And they're
0: tracking uh, it way more, too. I guarantee you. They pay attention to way more things than we think they're paying attention to. Absolutely,
1: they are. That could be the next interesting thing of 2022 is lenders addressing broker behavior. Right. Okay. I have a question for you. It's sort of unrelated to this. So it's
0: often left field, but- so we run a brokerage, we train new mortgage brokers. What's your advice for new mortgage brokers? And You can't tell them to run away. So like, what would your genuine, let's say it's your family member that decides to become a new mortgage broker and they don't become part of the Butler empire. What would your advice be to them?
1: So I can't use the, you should go out and become an electrician line. I can't use that. I'm not allowed to use that, right?
0: No, so you can't say that. You can't go become an electrician. So you got to say, okay, I'm going to support you in this role,
1: but what would you say to them? <laughs> well, for the pure commission people, People are, you're not signing up for, you know, a salaried environment. By the way, another plug for you. Your training is top notch. You know, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I listened to the different podcasts. There's literally good stuff in everything you do. Okay. If you're running your brokerage like that, you're giving people a lot of great training. Right. Here's the deal. If I would give anybody an overarching theme to joining this business, you must specialize. There is literally no big, big gun in this business who didn't specialize. Like, the closest guy to a non-specialist that I ever knew who was incredibly successful was the late, great Jacob Romovitz. He was a, pretty much of a generalist. But I'm telling you, but Jake, he, was, he was wicked smart, though. Like, I, I don't think most people could do what he did. Like, no. hey, listen, I've talked to people. I can't say too much, but I've talked to people about Jake and the truth is he was this unbelievable guy, not just smart, but empathetic, great personality, legitimately wonderful person to his clients, but he was working angles, all legit, all fair, all good, but he was working angles on clients that you needed to be a genius to keep track of, Right. but that's like a superhuman is right. the practice he was operating. But for the ordinary folks you must specialize. If you don't decide I only want to be in investment property, I only want to be in B that's, not, that's I like want your to son, be in uh, private.
0: Dave, right? He's
1: in the investment stuff. Yeah, always oh, yeah. has been. Day
0: one, day one he was just focused on investment. Okay, so let's say Ron Butler is 25 years old, right? You're jumping into this business you, electrician, you headed, electrician. <laughs> electrician. Okay. but you're not gonna be electrician. So, what niche would you go after? What do you think
1: is the niche that would be the niche that's interesting to you? Well, I got a niche, so I like my niche. I like my advertised, uh, you know, rate niche. I like it. It's done well for me. It's not for everybody. What niche? You've been training people for a long time, Scott. So I think this is what you've also discovered. It's got to be what's in the person. Mm-hmm. It's got to be what. Hundred percent. How their personality is directed. Okay. Yeah, you know, we've got a wonderful woman who's made a career out of pointing out that she's got a bunch of goats in her backyard, okay? And she's done great with it. We've got guys in this business now, guys and gals, gals are doing great, who just spend all their time pumping out YouTube, YouTube right. content. Thinking about one of the things that Greg touched on, you know, people think about what's the next big tech thing. The trouble is the next big tech thing may be completely unknowable to us. What if it's voice? You ever thought about voice running it? Like when you yell at your uh, Alexa, go do this. My uh, watch
0: is listening to me all the
1: time. What? I'm sure of it. My watch is
0: like, what are you saying, Scott? What are you looking at? What do you what say, are you Scott? Saying?
1: Like, does anybody really know what happens when somebody says, Alexa, what are the best mortgage rates in Canada? Does anybody know where she goes? I don't think right. so. And by the way, it's a whole different algorithm than Google search. It's not the same. Even if you yelled at Google, hey, Google, what about this? not using the same search algorithm. Or isn't. Siri. They're all different approaches. How about if that's the big tech thing? Hold on, wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, but wait, about, yeah, hold on, you're gonna get a How if You keep listening. How it. about if content is the future? How about if it's not about ads? How about if it's not about ads? How about it's just about content? How about somebody who just spends hours upon hours in a studio, kicking out brilliant content every single day, becomes the king of the mortgage world, the queen of the mortgage world. I mean, why not? Mm-hmm. We don't know yet what the next big thing is.
0: Right. I totally agree with that. And I also agree with the idea of niching down, you know, more narrow the focus, the more you can grow. Okay. So as we wrap up this conversation, which I love these conversations, what's kind of the last thoughts that you'd leave for anybody listening to this?
1: Well, my last thoughts are something that I couldn't tell anybody 12 months ago, because nobody suspected that after a pandemic and an economic catastrophe that it would be the greatest thing that ever happened to mortgages and real estate. Nobody actually knew that 12 or 14 months ago. So the thing I would have said back then is don't buy a Porsche, don't buy a Maserati, don't buy a cottage, don't buy two boats, don't buy six jet skis, okay? This may be the best year of the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. We don't know this, but for those who have gone out and this might sound crazy in a digital world, but some people actually went out and took on more office space. Some people hired more staff, not producers, but staff. Right. Some people went out and hired CFOs for their brokerages. Right. How can we guarantee that next year is gonna be as good or, or not, maybe better than, I don't think it will be. I think that there is always a cycle in everything. And mm-hmm. if we've had the best year in the history of the mortgage business, I don't think we can just do a 10% bump on that as our plan for next year. Right. Don't buy the jet skis.
0: You know, don't spend all that money that you made this year. Okay. I have one last question for you. So we touched on crypto briefly, but have you personally done any investing in crypto? Or are you like, or are you just watching it from the side right now?
1: Absolutely not. I just make fun of people
0: on Twitter about it. Okay, you don't, you don't. I have a very small amount. It's more just for like gambling. It's actually down, but you know, uh, it's okay. I look at it every once in a while, I'll show my kids, I'm like, hey, this is your, uh, you know, it's not gonna be anything, but who knows? I could be wrong on that. But what I love about our industry is it's always changing. I always say it's like a football game in every quarter, the rules change, market changes, the regulators change things. We got new entrants, it's just so exciting. So, always fun to chat, Ron. I'll have you back on again at some point, and we'll check in to see how these things go, see which lenders are in the channel, see if there's any new tech or new
1: disruptions that are coming our way always remember in the chinese culture when you wish someone to live in interesting times it's a curse on them right
0: well actually i like it though i'm excited about where things are but that's just me thanks ron thanks a lot scott take care hey thanks for checking this conversation with ron if you are an experienced mortgage broker funding at least 10 million a year and you want to figure out how do I get to 20, or if you're doing 20, you want to go to 40, go check out our 10loans a month academy. So that's 10loansamonth.com with the number 10. And all of the coaches in the academy train on building referral-based businesses. So Ron has a unique business model in that it's ad-based which is a valid and legitimate business, but for most people that is a difficult thing to build just because of the scale and you know the financial means required. But if you want to check out how to build a referral based business, go to Tamlomonth.com. In this next segment, I'm going to be talking to Tom Hall about three ways brokers are streamlining their processes. So check out this conversation with Tom. Thanks again. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. So hey, today we're going to talk about, we were having this discussion before we turned on, but three cool ways your top brokers, so we're talking the top 5% of brokers on the planet are using forms to streamline their process, make it more efficient, and we want to get you to stimulate some thinking. So why don't you jump into sort of where you're seeing these top brokers using technology
2: to help themselves out? Yeah, yeah, sure. And I guess to you know, I guess, paint the picture a little bit more. You know, people think, I think sometimes there's this idea in the mortgage space, okay, a form, I'm thinking about my application and I'm doing that. And that's important, of course. And there's a lot of great tools out there that help with that. But really where we've kind of seen, you know, as we were talking in the top 5%, what people are really doing is, you know, there's other areas of data collection, right? And we'll get into kind of what those areas might be. But, you know, the more you can standardize your data collection right? And again, we'll kind of get into what those areas might be, you know, the more you can really bring it into your process, right? If you're doing the same thing the same way every single time, then that allows you to kind of build automations and processes and reports around that because you've made it so standardized. So that's a bit of the preamble there. And you know one of the first places and this is where it really clicks for people and when i give this example and you know so right off the bat i'll kind of talk about you know realtor referrals which of course is something that you know is hugely important we always for, want more of them exactly exactly right and so you know when i think about that most people say hey you know i just get emails and we grab it and we do that and that's fine but you know it's very easy when that happens, especially as times get busy, you know things get lost in your inbox. You know sometimes, you know the realtor is just hey top of mind. Maybe it's a different broker, and you know they refer to someone else. So if you can put together that form, which can be real simple, you know first name, last name, email of the client, and you can present it to your realtor as a tool they can use, where they can just quickly type it in, and they know they're going to get continual follow ups. It's a really powerful thing for the realtor. It makes them want to use it more. Makes you look more professional. And then as soon as, you know, they put in that data, you bring it into, you know, a tool like your CRM and then boom, that process kicks in and you can take advantage of all those things I was talking about.
0: Right. So we're talking mm-hmm. basically some of these top mortgage brokers are using a realtor referral form. So instead mm-hmm. of getting an email or a text now, not every realtor is going to use it, but there are definitely realtors out there that would love that experience to be able to like hand off a client and so Mm -hmm. that's a pretty clever use of it so any other uses that you see people using forms in terms of to again streamline the process and uh, make it more efficient
2: Yeah, and and I guess just real quick on that last, yeah, not every realtor is gonna do it, but I do see that, you know, once people start using it, they start really loving it and it makes you seem, you know, that much more professional. So that's a huge one there. But then I guess continuing along the customer journey. I mean, typically after that point, they get into, you know, your process and then typically after that, hey, sometimes it's a discovery call, right? That's often what people kind of go through in their process and you know, the discovery call is great because you can collect information and then you can kind of game plan, you know, strategies and provide your value as a broker. But again, by using a form, by standardizing maybe that first half of the call, you don't even have to use a call. You could then again, maybe put it in a form, something that someone can fill out ahead of the call. And that A, gives you more time to talk about strategy. And B, it actually ahead of the call allows you kind of think of better strategy or different alternatives. Instead of on the spot, you can come in, you know, very prepared based on, the client situation. So
0: this is interesting. I thought it was something different, which I'll speak to in a sec, but sure, I know yeah. one of my buddies, Dion Begg, who does like wow, 140 million a year, his discovery call process is he's gets them to basically answer something like 20 questions. Oh, wow. Yeah. Before they even get to talk to him. like, and, yeah, yeah. and he's like, I thought they would yeah. not come, but because his marketing and his referral network is so strong, it's literally like they don't even get to talk to them unless you you know, you got to be this tall right. to get on the ride. So in a way it can work as a filter for your a busy okay. mortgage broker. But the other thing that I was thinking about with discovery call is you actually could use it when you're on the phone to standardize sure. the questions that you're asking. So, you know, instead of it being willy nilly, every time you do a call, it's slightly different. You can be just like, ding, ding, ding. You check all the boxes, you've got everything answered. And I know for a fact that one top broker that uses you guys I won't mention his name, but he uses this, their team has a discovery call form that they fill out when they're talking to the client. Right. So their lead coordinators, this person's doing hundreds of mortgages a year, the lead coordinator is actually using that to make sure that there's not gaps in the information. So that's a right. secondary. So there's a discovery call client filled and discovery call you fill so that you standardize call the, the call. conversation. Mm-hmm. So okay, realtor referral mm-hmm. form, discovery call, what's another use of a form that people can think about?
2: Yeah. And the last one, I mean, this one here is kind of, you know, a bit compliance, but a bit fun. And just a way you can kind of differentiate yourself a little bit with your clients is really kind of the all about you. So, you know, standard questions, but also maybe going a bit deeper, you know, if there's a certain way you like to position yourself or a certain way you like to connect with your customers saying, Hey, what's your favorite restaurant or, Hey, what's your favorite sports team or whatever, like that might look like again, standardizing that, getting that to a place where, you know, it's simple and it's easy for your client to fill out. And then you can bring that one back in. And, you know, with all these things and with the all about you one included and what I was thinking about as you were talking is it really does when you think about, you know, your conversions and different things like that, a lot of this information can be used and can be reported on, right? Saying, okay, well, the person who fills out the discovery call you know, converts way better or the person who, you know, gives me a lot of detail, the person who's in, you know, this situation here or whatever it might be. You can start using all these different forms to really then start very early in the process identifying, hey, this guy or this girl might be interesting based on the stats and the way they filled things out you know, they're a higher converting type person. So right. the more you can standardize that, the more insights you're going to get like that.
0: Right, and you're just going to run a more efficient business, honestly. All that. Like your mortgage business should be like Groundhog Day. It should be like every day you get <laughs> yeah. up, It's the same thing. And you're like, wow, I did this yesterday. Yes, that's a beautiful business. That means that the thing is working. If you're addicted to the chaos, which some brokers are, they just love the chaos. They're more like an emergency room all the time. That's not good. (laughs) I want to be like, you know, Groundhog Day. It's the same. And the ways you do this and the really good mortgage brokers who are doing 500 plus mortgages a
2: year, it's like
0: Groundhog Day. It's like, it's the same all the time. Very specific.
2: I was listening to your latest one with Gail, Sylvester, and she was talking about that, right? She was saying, hey, I had a neighbor. We went outside the process. It wasn't Groundhog Day in one scenario. And, you know, it collapsed the whole thing. You always pay for it. Right. Always. You always. Yeah. Yeah. So I I like that one. And I think it's applicable here
0: too. Absolutely. Totally. And so this is by using your tech to actually make that more efficient. So it's awesome. So if you're
2: listening to this, you know, Tom, thanks so much for sharing these. So maybe do a quick recap. So I guess, yeah, just to recap kind of what we went through, you know, forms are a great tool and, and some of the tops when we see are just hey, the big three being the realtor referral, the discovery call, kind of two parts of that as we talked about, hey, ahead of time, but also on the call to be able to kind of standardize that piece. And then finally, the all about you, getting to know your customer a little bit better, having some fun with that and bringing it all into one spot. So again, it's going to hit your process the way you want it to with the automations and that sort of thing, but also really powerful in the back end where you can start reporting, you can start seeing, hey, based on certain response is, how are people converting? How does that look for my prospecting and that sort of thing? So all that comes together and just having that, you know, form as part of your technology stack.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic, Tom, really appreciate it. So if you guys are listening to this and you are a Blue Mortgage customer and you're like, hey, I don't do those things, reach out to Tom and his crew. You can hire them to actually set it up for you. So if you have a time famine and you're like, man, I know I want to fix parts of my business, reach out to them, they can help you. And if you're not a customer yet, then go check them out, bluemortgage.ca and they can help you get this stuff set up and some of the people i'm telling you, they're not using names but these are some really high producing people and they've already got this figured out and so you can use some of this knowledge that these guys have picked up so check them out and tom thanks again for being on the show thanks scott all right thanks again for checking out this episode today a lot of fun chatting with ron as well as tom if you're listening to this you're like man there's probably lots of gold in these podcasts and there absolutely is we have this power search tool that allows you to keyword search every single episode. We've ever created 400 and some episodes now. Go to brokering.com. You can set up a free power search account. And we have some other goodies in there for you as well. So go check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. And thanks again for checking out this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.